Hi everyone, welcome to UBB Podcast. My name is Jennifer Wu. I'm a senior portfolio manager in the discretionary portfolio management team based out of Hong Kong at UBB. Today we will be discussing some of the economic and structural developments taking place in China and what those means for Chinese financial assets. Joining me in this discussion is Mr. Baras Guppert, Head of Discretionary Portfolio Management Asia and a member of UBP Global Investment Committee. Thank you, Jennifer, and welcome, everyone. Paras, Chinese equity markets, as represented by MSCI China and MSCI China Asia's, have been one of the best performing amongst major markets in 2020. Considering the fact that it was the original epicenter of the pandemic, along with the continuing simmering geopolitical uncertainty in the background, what, in your opinions, are the key reasons for this strong performance? Chinese equity markets have indeed performed very well in 2020. It was the first country in and out of the pandemic within the first quarter of 2020 itself. Therefore, for the most part of the year, the economic growth has seen a sharp rebound. Part of the credit does go to the fact that authorities were able to get the pandemic under control and have since prevented significant outbreaks. Now, what this has done is help the economic recovery rebound much faster than anybody expected. It's even more remarkable when you consider that China was the first major country to battle with the pandemic when there was very little understanding of the virus and how to prevent or slow down its spread. The pace at which the economic rebound in China happened meant that China didn't even enter a technical recession and the recovery has been closest to a V-shaped one you'd see. The economic recovery, which started by being two-paced with the industrial side and supply side of the economy rebounding, while the consumption and the demand side of the economy lacked, this has since gradually become quite inclusive with both engines of the economy driving growth. The strong recovery relative to the rest of the world provided the tailwind for equity market performance. Valuations were also reasonable, especially relative to the developed markets. The policy backdrop has been supportive as China has been providing selective fiscal and monetary easing to the economy over the last 18 months or so. All the above factors help Chinese equity markets perform strongly in 2020. So Paras, you mentioned about the strength of economic recovery. There has been a lot of talk about the recently held fifth plenum of the 19th Communist Party Congress, which laid out the blueprint for social and development objectives from 2021 to 2025, in addition to rolling out a mid-term economic strategy called the 2035 vision. What are some of these medium-term structural changes and developments which are shaping the economic landscape? I think you raise a very, very relevant question here, Jennifer. You know, some of these high-level policy objectives laid out during the recently held fifth plenum have already been in work over the last few years. There's already been a lot of talk about how China is gradually transforming itself from an export-driven to a more consumption-driven economy. And this transformation increasingly becomes broad-based and evolves from a narrow export versus domestic consumption focus to a much broader outward versus inward focused. The outward focused on growth turns increasingly inwards towards quality and sustainable domestic growth with a number of important implications. Domestic focus, in our opinion, continues and evolves from consumption to include high-end manufacturing as well. Dual circulation strategy was a term which was first introduced by President Xi Jinping 
in May of this year. Now, dual circulation strategy, what it is, it is a combination of import substitution and increasing domestic demand. It is a multi-year strategy to cut China's reliance on some key high-tech imports and reduce its dependence on external demand to achieve growth sustainably. The recent announcements suggest that a second transformation is underway in China to turn itself into an innovation center. Now, you recall that the first transformation saw China become a global manufacturing and trade hub. Now, the key implications of this transformation, in our opinion, are firstly, it implies further opening of the previously restricted domestic capital markets to foreign investors. The transformation I spoke about requires physical investment, which may be similar to levels seen in the early 1990s and supportive of a massive reinvestment cycle. Now, the deepening of capital markets is required to continue to fund this investment cycle. Now, this year itself, Shanghai and Shenzhen have hosted more than US dollar $47.5 billion of IPOs and listings. Now, this is the highest tally since 2010 and represents 27% of the global total. If I include the Hong Kong listings by Chinese companies as well, the number goes up to 43%. Star Market, which is the NASDAQ equivalent in China, has been the catalyst for equity markets. Similarly, onshore bond markets, which are the second largest bond markets globally, continue to open and attract inflows. Now, secondly, the prospect has emerged of a strengthening yuan as a tool for China to manage potential domestic inflationary pressures. Now, with the increased domestic focus to power the economic growth, the Chinese authorities, in our opinion, are unlikely to pursue the mercantilist policies of earlier years, where a weaker yuan would be helpful for exports and consequently economic growth. With exports now contributing only 18% of the Chinese economy and the strong inward focus, a stable to gradually strengthening yuan would be the desire. Moreover, China will run current account deficits intermittently in the future, which means that the monetary authorities will ensure that the exchange rate is relatively stable to entice foreign capital. The third key, impl uh, key implication is that domestic focus will likely also come with the need to contend with past credit excesses. Defaults, though non-systemic in nature, should become more commonplace in our opinion as the cleanup of the financial system once again picks up pace. Recently, there have been some high-profile SOE defaults in China which have made headlines. This suggests that as authorities become comfortable with the economic recovery, the financial cleanup and deleveraging is likely to continue. Thanks, Pras. That does sound like a very ambitious agenda. So given what you've just described it, what could potentially be the areas for investors to focus on within Chinese financial markets? Every major transformation and the like of what we are discussing definitely does throw up potential opportunities from an investment perspective. Chinese equity markets offer offshore listed edge shares and ADRs, along with domestically listed A shares, which together offer a wide universe for investors to help gain exposure to areas which could benefit from the medium-term structural trends. Capital market reforms, high-end manufacturing, 
domestic consumption, online education, and healthcare are areas we see opportunities in. Technology is an ongoing key theme and an area investors should continue to stay focused on as China's recent announcement of its ambitious target of carbon neutrality by 2060, along with its efforts in 5G, as well as artificial intelligence, highlights its pursuit of leadership in the key 21st century technologies. This includes the digital payments segment, where China looks set to be the first major nation to launch a central bank digital currency. In our opinion, investors should consider thematic and stock selection approaches as opposed to passive index-oriented strategies within China. They should also consider a combination of actively managed strategies focusing on A shares as well as H shares to focus on these themes. Moving on to fixed income, the gradual opening of onshore bond markets offer investors the ability to invest in onshore bonds, which provide both high nominal and positive inflation-adjusted yields. Moreover, the historical gap between China and US 10-year government bond yields should allow investors in local currency to benefit from what we believe would be a stable to appreciating currency in order to augment their local currency income. However, as I mentioned earlier that the pickup in defaults, especially in the onshore market, what it means is that investors should focus active credit selection. Now, combining select credits with Chinese government bonds, in our opinion, will offer investors a balanced risk return profile in a shifting Chinese fixed income arena. Thank you, Paras. As you mentioned, investors should consider exposures to China more holistically in their portfolios. There are opportunities in both equity and fixed income segments. Within equities, more thematic and active stock selection approach to benefit from the medium-term structural trends. Whereas on the onshore Chinese government bonds offer attractive nominal and real yields along with potentially stable to appreciating currency. If you would like to discuss more or need more information, please feel free to reach out to your private bank at UBP. Thank you very much for listening in and have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye.